Live from Tel Aviv, two nice Jewish boys. This podcast is made in cooperation with the Jewish Journal. www.jewishjournal.com For thousands of years, astronomers have been looking up to the sky, trying to understand what the hell is going on up there. In the last 50 years, technology has led to tremendous breakthroughs. And yet, we are still very far from solving the most essential of questions. How was all this created? Professor Tzvi Mazif from Tel Aviv University has been trying to find answers to these questions for over 40 years. He was a guest researcher in Harvard, and as an astronomer, Professor Mazif took part in many important discoveries of stars, planets, and other space phenomena. Professor Mazza published the book Introduction to the Theory of Relativity and co-edited the book Drishat Shalom, a collection of articles about peace and justice from a biblical perspective. Professor Mazza was also the chair of the political Jewish left-wing movement Netivot Shalom. Professor Mazze is one of the most popular lecturers in Tel Aviv University, and apart from being a leading astrophysicist, he is also an expert in the history of astronomy. Moreover, he has also been teaching Talmud for many years. Professor Mazze joins two nice Jewish boys today to talk about his out-of-this-world career. This podcast is made in cooperation with Secret Tel Aviv, Israel's largest online social network community in English. Just look for the group on Facebook or visit them at secrettelaviv.com. Subscribe to Two Nice Jewish Boys on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate us. And as you can hear, uh, Eitan uh, is absent today. He's abroad in Italy and I'm here by myself. And we're doing this recording in Tel Aviv University in the office of Professor Maze. Hello, Professor. Hello. How are you? A little closer to the mic, please. So, how big is the universe? Well, the universe is infinite. So there is no meaning to this question. That means that however far you go, you you look and you still see more and more galaxies. How can we know that? Well, that... It's a difficult question to answer, but we know that. We know that it's, it has no end. Correct. Right. It's very hard for our minds to perceive That's correct. such a thing. <laughs> That's Maybe it wasn't meant to perceive it? Wow, I don't know that. I, I, I cannot answer such a question. Okay. So, so it's interesting because uh, in the... Koltov? Um, in the old days, let's say the the Greek cosmology believed that uh, the universe is finite. The Earth was in the middle, and uh, there were uh, uh, layers of the of the planets. At the end, there was the firmament of the sky, which was the end of the universe. So the the universe in the in the when are we talking about? Like three thousand years ago? Well, yeah, even even 2,000 years ago, even uh, 1,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even 100 years ago. No, 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 no. Since Copernicus, we understand that this is not the, the, the real thing. But the, the Greek uh, scientists believe that the universe is infinite in time. It was ever since. Mm-hmm. But it was finite in volume. 
And space. And space. Space is limited. Was. That's what they thought. Space is limited. But the universe was existing forever. And probably will exist forever. And we now went through a very dramatic revolution in our uh, conception of the world. Because now we think that the universe is infinite in space, but finite in time. Because if we think of the Big Bang as the beginning of the world, some, some scientists uh, question that, and they, they try to understand what was before that. But putting this aside, looking upon our existing universe, it has started in a point. So in time, in time, in time. So that, that's, that's a fundamental change. But before that point in time, there was no time. There was no time. Yeah, you can say that. Right. But as so, it started, you can point on a point in time in which it started. <laughs> If correct. we're trying to wrap our minds around this. Correct. So this, this, this change is, I, f- I find it very interesting. The, the change in the infinite dimension. And that's are, something new? That's something... Uh, the notion. The, the notion of the, of the starting point, the notion of the Big Bang, it's, it's about 100 years ago, one year old. The notion that the universe is infinite in space, that's, uh, people were talking about that, but uh, I think establishing that is in the last maybe, I don't know, 20 years. And it will have an ending, you say? That's not very clear. Um, well, it's... it's, it's <laughs> I get, want clear it's, answers. <laughs> no, uh, so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not the right address to that. Uh, I have to go somewhere else. Um, the universe will cool off and there will be kind of an end. At, at a certain point. At a certain point, right. L- let's go back to basics please that's, because that's, I'm that's... a filmmaker I know nothing I know I'm, well know. I tell you I also know nothing. <laughs> we are all nothing com- in comparison with the universe yeah, right right so what's the difference between a star a planet and a galaxy oh wow <laughs> that's easier uh, in our solar system uh, there is the main object is the Sun and uh, the Sun by uh, some miraculous miraculous uh, process sun knows how to create energy and this energy it's a huge amount of energy this is this energy is radiated away from the sun by light carried away by photons to all directions around the sun there are planets and planets are just a, a grain of dust relative to the sun Uh, the whole earth is its mass is one uh, 300,000 smaller compared to times to, uh, to the sun so if you ask the sun what what is around it you go and say sun sun what do you see around it so a few grain of dust are circling around very very boring 
and and those grains do not know how to create energy so if you turn off the sun those planets will cool off and get to minus 270 degrees centigrade so that's the big difference between a planet and a sun or what we call a star stars or suns since copernicus we are we realized a little bit later than that uh, book of copernicus was published in 1543 and since then or a little bit later than that we realized that the stars that we see most of them in the sky in the sky those are suns like our sun so when we astronomers say a star we mean really uh, um, a sun that means an object that can that can generate light and and the amount of light is for most stars is comparable to our sun some are brighter some are fainter but more or less the same right and how many stars or suns are there in the universe well, well we just I, said it's infinite correct but but, but in our uh, um, neighborhood let's say in our block the block is called the milky way which is a galaxy and in our galaxy there are 100 billion stars stars correct yes and they all all of them have dust dust that is circling around them or that, some of them that 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 was an open question for 400 years since astronomers realized that the stars that we see in the sky all of them or most of them are our suns they asked the question do they have planets around them and it was an open question till the last uh, 50 years or so and then what we what then then uh, uh, some, some astro- no 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 it's not realization it's it's measurement <laughs> because people speculate they say it's not reasonable to assume, to assume that only only the sun has planets that but but we as scientists we try to get proof 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 yeah <laughs> in a sense so so uh, in the last 50 years or so years we succeeded to collect uh, observational evidence for the existence of planets around other stars and I was fortunate enough to be in the group of people that, that started that how because in the end of the day we are so small and insignificant in the universe how can we know what is going on I mean, we're very limited, even with today's technology, right? All we know is based on on deductions of deductions of things that we see with our technology or, or, or detect, right? So we use nothing, more or less, to know a lot. So, or maybe well, I'm exaggerating. I, yeah, yeah. But, I, I but, wouldn't agree to that. Um, best technology is uh, invested in building telescopes and receivers and detectors 
to study the universe. But even the most expensive telescope has its limits, right? No, of it, course. It everything, cannot. Everything is. And yet we know so much. So well, how, how maybe <laughs> maybe it's the other way around. Maybe because the universe is so large, maybe still we know very little. That's my my approach. You think we know very little? Yes, of course. We we know very little about the universe. The universe is so vast, so large, and there are so many phenomenon phenomena occurring there. So we, we know very little and, and we, we discover it, but it's an endless process. So how do we know, for example? So it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit technical, but um, <clears throat> if a sun star has a planet, it, uh, uh, the planet uh, attracts the sun or the star and the star is moving a little bit because of the existence of the planet that goes around it so we one way of of detecting the planets is to discover or to observe or to measure by the telescope the small motion of the star caused by these um, forces the caused by 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 the uh, un unseen companion which we can deduce uh, it is a planet that's one way there is another way where when for some of the systems the planet goes just um, in front of the stellar disk and it covers a little bit of the stellar disk so the intensity of the star goes a little bit down of the so light that we see right we see just the point but we measure the intensity of the star the brightness of the star and if we see a drop a little bit of a drop of the brightness and this repeats itself in a very periodic way then we know that there is a planet that goes around it and from time to time it blocks a little bit of the light so of of the star so for a brief moment in time that well, planet no, passed it can it can be a few hours well a few hours in time a planet has passed between us and that star which Correct. is so exactly. far away and so it also happened millions of years ago right because we see the light sometimes mm, in retrospect no, uh, um, a few thousand years ago a few thousand years ago yeah and it happened for several hours a few thousand years ago and we measure it and we measure the drop the drop and that's how we con conclude yeah but then we have to wait till it comes again otherwise we don't know that this is periodic phenomenon aha uh -huh. so we have to wait and when we see it again and again and again and again then we conclude that there is an object that blocks the light of the star the stellar light in a periodic way so it appears every say few days or few months or something and when we look at the sky and we see the suns and you said we there in the our sun? neighbor the suns in the plural. suns yeah you said in our neighborhood we have we said 100 billion was yes. it mm -hmm. so can we estimate how many of those stars have planets around them that's that's uh, how many planets yeah that, the, the community is working on that I, I i think that it i wouldn't be surprised if if most stars have planets around them at least one if not more right now the question the, the next question is how many planets like earth they have like means in size and in distance 
from their parent stars because the distance determines the temperature of the planet. If, if the planet is close to its parent star, it's hot and it's unpleasant, could be unpleasant for life. And if it's too far away, then it's too cold. So we need the, what's called the habitable zone in order for life to, to, to be um, possible. We need a planet to be in the habitable zone. So the question is, which is open question, what is the frequency? How many stars have Earth-like planets in the habitable zone that, that's still open? I think at least a few percent. Of those 100? Uh, Correct, yes. Which will be, would be, if we talk about 100 billion suns, that it would a mean few at billion, least a few, few billion. hundred billion no, few, planets in no, general. Ah, yes, out of that's which, true. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is very optimistic for those who believe in life outside of our solar system. They can be optimistic in that case. That um, you're... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm careful. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many, how many trials you need in order to, to start life. That and, cor- sorry. And, and also might be that uh, an Earth-like planet in the habitable zone is not enough. Maybe you need the moon as well. Maybe our moon uh, had a major role in the formation of life. How so? It, it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit complicated, but, but um, for example, the, the women period, which is very close to the moon's period, the length, you know, a month, about a month. Uh-huh. So maybe it tells us that there is some, some some connection by the formation of of life and there are some theories about it how really? how, yeah right so so you know having a moon that could be uh, uh, another ingredient that maybe we don't appreciate enough or... right and that could be very rare uh-huh. this is all speculations but so i don't know i i don't know what it takes to form life. I really don't know, and I think that nobody knows. Some astronomers claim they know, but I think they don't. Okay. So, so I really don't know that. So, so if nature or God or whatever you believe wanted to create life, maybe he had to try uh, 100 billion times to create stars, that some of them have planetary system, and some of those have the correct condition for life, and only one of them, maybe, I don't know, only in one of them there was a success. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, this, this is the way nature works. What do you mean? I mean, for example, in order to fertilize um, an egg, an egg, so we would, if we would engineer that, we will create a seed, yes. one seed, to fertilize the egg. But that's not how nature works. Nature creates zillion 
of seeds only for the sake that one of them will fertilize the egg. Right. That's it, you know, and, and all the others, you know, nature doesn't mind. Right. The big numbers theory, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's how nature works, right? Right. So maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's the same thing here. I, I don't know. I, this is an open question and no, nobody knows. Till, till we, we, till we, we, we make the experiment and, and, and form life by ourselves, we don't know that. And I don't think we'll be able to do that. So, you know, we, we just have to look around. We might discover biosignals on some of the planets. Meaning? Meaning by collecting light from the planets that we have discovered, we will discover in the light coming from the planets some signal that there is some, some, some life over there. We, 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 we would be able to do that, maybe. And like, that's not that far. I'm going with my imagination. If there is an atomic war on that planet. No, no, no. It's, you don't need to go that <laughs> okay. far. But, 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 if, but if there are plants, plants over that planet, okay. and they uh, generate, uh, for example, some molecules, like CH4, like methane, okay. and we discover this methane, methane molecule in the atmosphere of the planet, we might conclude that that planet has plants on its surface. But th that's with the plants, planets that are close to us, or also with those who are... No, 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 those Ex exo exosolar planets. Uh -huh. No, of course, no. In, in the solar system, I don't think there is uh, life. Nothing. I, I'm not sure, but I, it's, it's difficult to believe, because otherwise we would see that. Right. Maybe there is some... There's talk about Europe yeah, yeah, and Yeah, yeah, right. Titan. May, yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe there is some, some very primitive forms of life in some, some of the moons in the solar system. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about extrasolar planets. Mm -hmm. So, and that, the search for biomarkers on those exoplanets that we are discovering every day, that will be a very active field in 10 years. Mm -hmm. That is possible. And, and that a discovery of biomarkers on extrasolar planets, that would be a very great discovery of mankind. No question about that. So we can monitor biological phenomena so far away from, from we, our we, galaxy? We, we can monitor the, the, some evidence uh -huh. for life in the atmosphere of some planets far away. That's amazing. This is... We can. I don't know if we will do that or what if we will discover. Mm -hmm. After all, it took 400 years to discover the first extrasolar planet after we understood that there are suns outside our solar system. Right. But it took 400 years till we discovered and measured the first planet, the first extrasolar planet. But there's Moore's law, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know what is the, the constant there. Yeah, right. I don't know. Right. It might 
might take another 400 years. And that corridor you mentioned of life, for example, that Earth is in it, right? The, the distance from the, the habitable sun. habitable zone. The habitable zone, for example, how closely could we end it up, like how, how narrow is it in our solar system, for example? Yeah, it's, it's not it's that narrow. It's not that narrow, but it is pretty narrow, right? I mean, a, a little... Ne- narrow is a relative term, <laughs> so I don't know what you... What, what, What do you mean? But uh, if Earth uh, was a little bit what, what, in the direction what, what of the sun... What do you mean a little bit? If, I if, don't know. I'm asking you. Well, uh, I don't know. If you can change it by 5 or 10%, it will still be in the habitat. Uh-huh. So let's go back, please, because you lectured um, here in Tel Aviv University a lot about the history of uh, astronomy also, and you mentioned the Greeks. And I wonder... How did they, you talked about it a little bit, but if, but if you can, how did they perceive the universe, the Greek? They, they get, they get they what did they get right, if at all? Did they get anything right? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. They, they knew that the Earth is round. They knew it. Yes, they measured the circumference of the Earth. They knew very well the radius of the Earth. That is... information were lost in the Middle Ages, but they knew that. They estimated correctly the distance to the moon. They, kn- they knew that the moon is round. They knew that the moon doesn't have its own light, but the light is reflected from the sun. So in the neighborhood of the Earth, including the moon, they knew very well what's going on. But they thought that the Earth is in the center. This is the geocentric model or concept. And they got it all wrong about the planets and the, air and the sun. You know, they, they thought, this is a natural thing. I, 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 you don't I judge have, them. <laughs> no, no, no. I have, it's the other way around. I have a lot of respect to them. It's, it's, uh, what, it's, it's the natural conclusion when you go out and you look around. Because you, you, you see that the Earth is stationary. Right. And you see that the, all, all, all the heavenly bodies, they are rotating. So the natural thing is to create a model or to create a picture where you are in the middle, not, not moving, and all, everything is moving around you. Uh, so it, it fits. And then the next break, the biggest breakthrough is Copernicus, right? The next huge yeah. breakthrough. Well, yeah, right. In astronomy, I, I think so. Yeah. And why is that? Why is that? Because we, we, everything was changed. We, we realized that we are just a speck of dust and uh, <clears throat> we are not in the middle. And that led to the realization that uh, even the sun is not unique, that the All the stars are also suns like us. So, so we lost the uniqueness of our perception of the world. That, that had a, a, a dramatic, deep influence of how people should <laughs> think uh-huh. of themselves. Not all of them <laughs> internalized that. If, if, you, if you listen to the pol- politicians around, they, they don't know about that. <laughs> they, they didn't hear about Copernicus. They, they, they still think that they are in the center. Of the universe, but uh, uh, it, sh- it should tell us some mo- modesty a little, you know. How did he understand that, this? 
Yeah, well, it's it's, it's complicated. Com- it's <laughs> very, very complicated, but um, yeah. Although his 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 new model was a little bit simplistic, it took a few modifications afterwards. Kepler, Galileo, Newton, but but he started that. Okay, so uh, listeners, uh, but but. Yeah. By, by the way, there was that the notion was around in the Greek, in the old Greek time, but was rejected. The notion that the Earth is not in the middle. Correct. That the heliocentric, heliocentric uh, um, picture, but it was okay. rejected. And a little bit back about the universe, because you said, is it expanding Or is it not expanding? It What? is. It, is, it ex- is expanding. Yeah, right. But the the Don't, temp- did, didn't you notice that uh, <laughs> we are getting further far, far away from each other? But is it expanding? What is the pace of that expansion? Is it going to expand until eternity, or yeah, it will. Yeah, right. It's not because I heard some theory about it. Eventually, maybe it will go back to to the big crunch, yeah, is no, that apparently not and because I heard in your lecture, okay, in your lecture, I think I heard that you explained how uh, that it looks as if the pace of that expansion is growing correct bigger. Can you explain that? Well, you said it right, you know the the pace the the, the universe is accelerating. It gets the velocity gets larger and larger and this is because of the still an energy from the big bang we don't no, know not really I mean there is some energy in in space that pushes everything away away from a certain point no there is no point <laughs> because the universe that's that's very difficult because it would be easier to think that there is a center and everything is moving away from the center but the universe is infinite so there is no center there's no center every everybody sees the same we see ourselves as cent- as the center and we are looking around and we see galaxies around us and the galaxies are moving away from us and they not only moving away from us but they are accelerating and the farther the galaxy is the faster it goes and away from us that's our picture but our picture is our model is that everybody in the universe in other galaxies say sees exactly the same so they also see us going further and further away from correct. them correct and they see themselves as the center they look in each direction and they see that all the galaxies around them are going away from them And inside the galaxy also no no the galaxy is is, is, is intact is, yes and mm-hmm. when we look to the sky some of the stars we see are from our galaxy and some of the stars we see are from no, other no everything no. is from our galaxy yeah the other galaxies are too far away so we we can see them only the collective light of those galaxies we can see uh-huh but but uh, the the stars that we see are in our galaxy Yeah, well, in a telescope you can see. So but that means that eventually we will not be able to see other galaxies ever yeah, again. That's very sad fact. 
Very, very sad. In, fa- in fact, there are discussions about it, that, you know, in, in a billion years, how the scientists will be able to convince themselves that they were, once upon a time, s- galaxies in the sky. Apart from ours. Yeah, of course, other galaxies. Yeah, because they will not see other galaxies. Wow. So, well... That means we need to preserve that information, you know, in capsules. But so what is what is you you've been working uh, in astro- in researching those um, questions for so so long? I, I am not I'm not uh, studying this cosmology, which is called the, the big the big picture of the universe. I'm I'm what are, what do you specialize at? I, I am working on planets on on extrasolar planets and binary stars. So what's the biggest achievement of your career as of yet? The thing you're most I, proud I th- of? I think the, the discovery of the first candidate as an extrasolar planet, which was not recognized at that time. Can you explain a little bit about that? What does it mean, candidate for an extrasolar planet? I initiated the search for extrasolar planets many years ago. Meaning planets? Extrasolar planet means planets... Let's around, remind. A, around other stars, outside other our solar system. Okay. You initiated it? Yes. I, I initiated one of the searches. We're talking late 80s? Uh, we are talking about middle 80s, 84. So up until then, there was no proof that there are planets circling suns outside of our solar systems. Correct. And it's the other way around. People believe that they are far away and nobody will adapt with the technology at that time nobody would be able to detect planets like this and, and at, the, at that time i claimed that uh, with the present with the available technology at that time some specific planets can be detected but some specific planets that are very different from the planets that we have here. And people told me, you know, you're wasting your time and time of telescopes and resources <laughs> because all planets must be very similar to our solar system. And I claim you, we have only one system, so let's try it nevertheless. Isn't it amazing that always with the big discoveries, that's the story about how everyone tells you you know nothing and that's nonsense. And you yeah. sh- you, you're the only one who insists, right? I don't know if I was the only one, but, but yeah, yeah, right. So I, I, I initiated one with a telescope at uh, Harvard. And we found uh, one candidate. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ups and downs in this story, but we, we finally f- found one. How long did it take you? The whole, it's years we're talking years, about? Yeah, years, yeah, five years. So we published this in uh, 89. <clears throat> and it was the first candidate for an extrasolar planet, and it was not recognized as such at the time. Only but, later? But, but uh, it was the smallest object found at the time, the first small object relative to a sun, because many, many stars have stellar companion around them. And that, what we found was clear or almost clear to, 
it's not a star, but whether it's a planet or maybe a big planet or maybe some, some creature which is between, which is called a brown dwarf, that was not clear at the time. And it took another six years with no discoveries whatsoever to discover the, the next one, which was recognized. That was in 95, which was recognized as the first planet because it was small. Our was a little bit larger. Like uh, the, the, the scale, everything is compared to Jupiter, which is the largest planet in our solar system. So the one we discovered was uh, 10 times more massive than Jupiter, and the next one in 95 was uh, half a Jupiter mass. So at that time, that, there was no question about... How did it feel? 51 peg, it's called. Uh, that was done by uh, Mayor and, and Kelo in, in Switzerland, and they found... So how did it feel to to be a part of such a discovery then? Yeah, well, it was <laughs> very exciting. Very exciting. You feel like, I can't imagine how it feels, but I guess you feel you did your part in history, in a sense, right? Maybe uh, it's my uh, dramatic sense. No, but <laughs> this is a little bit exaggerating because I think that uh, Mayor and Kelo would start to search with a much better instrumentation anyway so you know it's a, it's a kind of the process i i am i i i feel privileged to be part of the process or of of the beginners of the beginning of the search for extrasolar planets and apart from your career as a researcher you also um made a move you created a movement called Netivot Shalom I didn't create it I was part of the of the people who created that but and and then I I was the chairman for for many years will you tell us a little bit about that movement sure uh, I I am orthodox Jew I I go I go with the kippah I try to <laughs> follow the the commandments as, as best as I can and I, uh, I see with great sorrow that uh, in Israel people use the Bible and, and their Jewish belief in order to uh, give uh, justification for the conquer of the land, for oppressing the Arabs, for fighting against peace. And believe that all that the land, our land, is is belonging to us because God promised this to us. I I, I strongly uh, uh, oppose this. I think that uh, in 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 Jewish thinking and in, in the genuine Jewish thinking, uh, peace is very very important. After all, in our prayer, we we ended Shmonesre by uh, hoping for peace. And uh, peace is more important than land. I think this is a terrible thing to use uh, religious belief to to justify a, a ownership of anything, and especially of land. We have to be humble in front of God and not owning, not not conquering. Uh, not conquering. Yes, thank you. So um, 
what was the pr- what what, what so, were the so purpose of the organization itself like what was the so there are missions? two 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 missions i don't know if we just succeeded in that i gave <laughs> a recently a lecture about 40 years of 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 uh, fighting for that trying to summarize this so so one 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 uh, the the main thing is to to show that the there is a smiling face to Judaism. The Juda- Judaism is not, is not like, like uh, Dove Leo, let's say. As, 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 as right, a, who is a rabbi in the, se- in the settlements. Yeah, of very Hebron, extreme, very extreme. Or, uh, and yes. he's not the, the very extreme, but yeah. he's, he's uh, enough extreme for me to, to oppose his opinions. Very much, and 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 so, so this fight is is has two two faces or two 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 fronts. One is to convince the Orthodox people, the modern Orthodox people, that this is this is true, or at least to convince them that our approach is legitimate within the sphere of of modern Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the other front is uh, uh, to convince the, the secular society in Israel that, that this is another option, that they shouldn't think that uh, if you believe or if you are a, a believer uh, uh, or modern orthodox, you must, you must... Uh, Vote uh, for uh, the right-wingers. Yeah, or, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, so that, that is the... the the fight, and um, we also, um, I also edited a book and wrote a few chapters there, uh, which is, I showed this, Drishat yes. Shalom, and we right. are working on this now to translate it into English. Oh, g- great. Uh, which is essays on uh, on the Parashat HaShavua, on the weekly portion, uh, not all of them, but some of them, some 20, 20 chapters that each of them is is taking a, a, a idea or subject in, in in the in the weekly portion and it shows how our ideas can be found in in the text in the biblical text and in the midrashim uh, and, and and the commentary commentaries so so this is this is very important Amazing. to me and uh, unfortunately there's still work to be done <laughs> un- unfortunately we are not uh, <laughs> we we are not the majority within within the well, with, within the modern orthodox i i i have to i have to admit yeah it's still it is an important voice still i i think it's a very important voice and and uh, I, I try not to be a, a depressed by, <laughs> yeah. by by the fact that uh, we 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 are not winning right, this right. battle but uh, my my approach is that you have to do whatever you you can and that's it before we go the last question i know you're provoked about it a lot i'll try to put it as abstractly as i can okay religion is about faith and science is about logic right and and conclusions and facts and those two faith and logic contradict each other i think so how can one reconcile or bridge the gap 
between faith and logic. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I give many public lectures and, and with no exception, they always somebody is asking uh, this question. And, uh, But more bluntly than me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I was yeah. delicate about yeah, it. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. No, no, but, but you, you went to the, to the heart of this. So, um, I, but I, I don't see a problem because um, science is, is about um, how, how things work and how, how is science, how is, the, how is nature, how nature works. And uh, religion is uh, how, how we should behave and uh, what should be the moral principles that will guide us so you know in, when, when you put it this way there is no really no no conflict whatsoever mm -hmm. if you start to go what about the scientific information in the bible and how this can be, I, i have answered to that as well but if you ask about that There is no 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 contradiction whatsoever. I think I think when people ask that they are influenced by by the Enlightenment movement, which this is going back 300 years ago, uh -huh. when when people the, the people started the Enlightenment movement, they they lectured that all the bad all the evil things in life or in the world is coming from the church, and. The minute we will get rid of the church and, and its influence, uh, we will live in heaven or in, 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 in a wonderful world. Uh, you know, you, you, cannot go, you cannot continue with this approach after the Holocaust, after uh, communism. You know, we are now celebrating the, 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 the 100 years of, 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 of uh, communist revolution. So... You cannot claim that the world will be much better without religion. I, I'm not saying that religion did a lot of bad things to the world and awful things, and I'm fighting this inside the Jewish uh, belief as well. And I, I'm very aware of what the Jewish belief, what bad things people did in, in the name of, of religion. So I'm not saying that... that uh, that everything is pure the other way around. But, uh, you know, the, the, this, is, this is the human, the, the human being. It it's, has nothing to do with religion. But religion being perceived correctly, it tells you about uh, humi humility and about uh, how you should behave towards other people, being human, being compassion, you know, all these things. And... and It has nothing to do with science, you know. In this corridor of, of excellent scientists here, some of them are wonderful people, and some of them are less than that. So, I, well, what? It has nothing to do with, right. with that. The scientific approach is um, based about uh, reasoning, and the idea about reasoning is that whatever background you have, we can talk together and try to convince ourselves with no our background our belief 
our even uh, uh, personal approach is irrelevant. We put all, that, that's, that's the art of reasoning, of science, that we put everything aside and we can talk and try to convince ourselves about how our nature works with a reason. Mm. And reasoning means putting everything aside. But, you know, you can do that and you should do that. <laughs> but uh, it, it would put scientists as very, very one-dimensional people or creatures to right. do all that. There is much more than that. And, and religion has a, in, in my view, has a major uh, role in that. Right. So, so I, 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 I even don't understand what's the problem. Yeah. Okay. Professor, before you go, we have two collaborations. One is with the Jewish Journal of Greater Los Angeles, a great newspaper and website for Jewish news in the States. The second is Secret Tel Aviv. It's a Facebook group. You're not in fa on Facebook, or are you? <laughs> I am, but I'm not very active. <laughs> It's a Facebook group of 160,000 people here in Tel Aviv, English speakers. They talk about what to do here, how to, how to enjoy Israel. And thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure that your greatest discoveries are still up ahead thank in your you. career. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.